It's sounding board. It's just a sounding board. Da-da-da-da. Do you normally sing? Oh, the cats are fighting. The AC is also on. Can you tell? I can't really tell that badly. Is it bad? Mm-hmm. Should I go turn it off? It's your call. Cool. We're here. I'm excited. Let's... I know exactly what I want to talk to you about, Maureen Smith. What's that? I want to get into this Queer Eye conspiracy. <laughs> I want to get right into it. Right into it. Yeah, so we're both fucking fired up. We just got... We were just... Uh, interviewed for this Are You Famous Yet podcast. You should mm-hmm. definitely go check them out. Mm-hmm. They're super fun. They've been around for five years. They're based on Logan Square. We like had a really great conversation about so, digital media. So, nice. Like, so, so committed great questions. to... Yeah. yeah. Really, really fantastic. Definitely check them out. It was really, really nice to be part of their part of their stuff. Um, but... Part of their world. Immediately after, there's kind of a thing brewing on a thing that I shared on your Facebook wall. Like... I, of all the things to blow up, so kind of like an inside joke between Maureen and I for a while now is that Anthony from Queer Eye doesn't know how to cook. Doesn't know how to cook. <laughs> like can't even boil an egg. And I, I like think, really like, he, just cannot cook. He uses like he posts a lot of like, he talks about a lot of recipes that he knows and stuff and like a lot of recipe research that he's done. Um but it's like Giada De Laurentiis. He talks about there's Tim st- Allen a lot. There's still comments. Tim Allen or Ty- uh, Tim Allen. No. Tim, no, Tim Allen's uh, <laughs> tool time. <laughs> yeah. Is it Tim Allen? No. This could very easily be solved by a quick Google. Ted Allen. Ted Allen. Ted Allen. Ted Allen. Anyway, um, so can you, what was the moment that you were like, I don't think he knows how to cook? Do you remember? I read an article. That, like, walked through every single episode and what he cooked. Yeah. And I, I'm... Okay, so if we're being real, I'm, like, 80% sure that he is actually... Co- That's generous. <laughs> That's I am, super generous. I am sixty percent sure. Yeah, that's more. I believe. I believe it's that you. You believe more that he knows how to cook than not. But like, damn, if you're not fired up about it. Yeah, okay. All right. I'll give it six. I am sixty percent sure that he knows how to cook. Yeah. Um, because like, I bet you so many people auditioned for that spot. So like, I'm sure he can cook. I mean, he's also a beautiful man. He is a beautiful man. And I'm not saying... Honestly, honestly, I'm a little irritated by him. Really? As, as, a, as like... Okay, because clearly clearly he's very attractive, but he's the kind... Of, all right, this is a separate issue, but I will I will go into it. Anthony, objectively attractive. There's no denying that, you know, he's got kind of like that, that like impish, like, like, you know, whatever. He's got like, he's got kind of like a Peter Pan vibe. Do you yeah. know what I mean by that? Yeah. He's got like, you know, he's got that, you know, rogue, roguish boy thing. Cats, get along. What I will say is that he fucking knows it. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, fu- he like, and he, he like, he's the king of thirst traps on Instagram. Which I have no time for that. I have no time for thirst trappy pseudo cooks. Really? I, see the layer though i think the important layer to like your judgy is that you really believe that he does not know how to cook okay i am th- 
to the core of my being so deeply entertained by the concept that he potentially doesn't know how to cook that i think is that i think is more than anything else is that is that i find it so goddamn hilarious the lengths the how just how far and how nuanced (laughs) there are are receipts you know of of him cooking of him not no of him of like does he yeah (laughs) well i some like some of my some of my favorite moments my honestly my favorite moment is in the is in the season opener of of season two where they are making over a woman and it's and it's like the she's like a an usher at her church and it's the homecoming for the church and he's (laughs) he's in her kitchen and he's talking like okay so you have to cook something for this homecoming what do you bring every year and she says oh i make the macaroni salad and he goes okay how do you make the macaroni salad which like first of all you don't know how to make macaroni anyway but I'll, I'll give no, him that is suspect. No, I'll give no yeah. because I'll give him that because maybe she has a special recipe, blah blah blah. So she's rattling through the ingredients, and he he's like, okay, cool. Well, like let me you know, blah, blah, blah. and then it cuts to him in like the in like the real world interview type, you know, the asides, right? right. And he says, you know, <laughs> he's like, you know, I think for this particular one, like I don't really need to do anything. I think that I'm just kind of here to help. You're telling me, Antony, food expert, that there's not one fucking thing that you can bring to the table for this homecoming thing. You're just going to help her make macaroni salad. You're telling me that Bobby's going to make an entire fucking community center and you can't bring one goddamn thing to the table other than helping her make her own macaroni salad. That is some bullshit. And says to me that he can't cook <laughs> unless under the watchful eye of the problematically framed magical black woman. I so I wanna I wanna kind of like take a, a a detour here for a second and come back to the conspiracy theory. I wanna bring up something that I sent you that I was like, I'm thinking about posting this, but I'm not sure because I don't wanna seem cause like I recognize that like homophobia is a layered thing, but I also like there's a thing that Off I'm Off to a great start. I know. <laughs> I love I love Queer Eye. I like I love watching it. It's really interesting and entertaining. I love the idea of like lessons in self-worth and self-respect. I the thing that I think that I'm just kind of like having a hard time with is that I don't love that basically things that we've deemed in the binary binary as like Maureen just pulled it up. Um, I do feel like it's a something about mainstream viewers that what they got from lessons in self-worth and respect was the tool of using men with a different sexual identity as a characterization type and translator for what would be otherwise something they could glean from having a meaningful conversation with their partner about their partner's needs. So what I will say is that that is not entirely accurate. Sure, yeah. No, 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 and here's why. Because, yes, in the frame of a bunch of gay men going in and sprucing up the life of a straight man yeah completely understand but in the second season they make over a woman they make over several several 
you know individuals on the lgbtq spectrum yeah. like it's not entire like like the thing that they don't have in like the the thing that separates them is not always sexual identity i think the the crucial piece to this to this critique that i have is not this is not about the production of queer eye or the the part the the the, the fab five or anything it's about how straight like binary audiences reacted to it which is that it's it's become this thing of like where that we need that like the argue the like argument that straight culture is making is that straight culture needs gay men to teach them how to be feminine or how to relate to or their how, wife not not even not partner. even be feminine because that's you know a little leaning into the binary, the gender binary, but no, 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 I, yeah. no, 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 but not necessarily teaching them how to be feminine, but teaching people empathy. Well, and I, well, and so this is my point. I'm not saying, I am not saying that my, this is not my way of thinking about this. I'm saying that the, the mainstream straight binary audience views empathy as inherently feminine. So, first problematic layer second problematic layer is that they that men have stunted their empathic growth so intensely that they can't even understand it from their from their romantic partner and it's not something that comes into play in their relationships on a i'm talking about this like on a generational like like on a level of what i'm saying that this says something about mainstream humanity which is that men that that subscribe to a gender binary have a like a serious flaw in their ability to relate to their partner empathically and i and that that's what i'm saying and i i, I the act of us of of like straight culture taking like the fact that they like taking someone's sexual identity as the translator for that is i i feel a misstep especially because i don't and i so what i'm saying here is that i do not think that that's what this show is about i'm not, this is not a thing i have to take the task with the show it's just a thing that i i feel i've perceived about straight audiences watching the show i would say yes and no i think that there is some aspect of that from straight viewership i think that you know, I honestly, I think that there's some amount of, you know, as as there is the trope of the magical black woman, right? There is a sense of the, of the, you know, all knowing, wise, like sassy gay guy. Well, and I think, and to, that, and that's, yeah. and that's, and that is a trope that is heavily leaned on, mm-hmm. of of like, especially in you know something that they borrowed from the first iteration of Queer Eye is the first you know seven minutes of the episode is the fab five just absolutely tearing to pieces the the current lifestyle of their of their client target yeah person of their of the subject Mm -hmm. and which sucks i've never liked that part (laughs) i think it's mean but i honestly i think that while there is a certain aspect of that show that it that does heavily lean on you know gender binary sexual you know stereotypes of sexual identity and stuff like that i think that moreover what they've tried to accomplish is trying to take the aspects of the first iteration of queer eye which honestly was introducing our culture to the idea of 
gay people and straight people being able to learn something from each other Mm -hmm. and taking that and being like, okay, baseline, we can learn stuff from each other, but let's take it a step further and let's talk about issues that are beyond just you being comfortable being in the room with me, Yeah, which I think it does a fantastic job of absolutely they they really they really touch on things they really take it case by case basis i think that the bigger issue with queer eye even more so than that and this is a conversation that i just had today with Catherine duffy our lovely friend um is that it's a little classist because that first seven minutes that i was talking about these you know these gentlemen come into um, into these people's homes and they're like wow you haven't gone you haven't you know how long have you had this shirt and they're like oh probably since college and they're like then they're like honey you're 34 and it's like well you know he lives in a he does live in a trailer maybe <laughs> maybe you know ex, you know maybe put two and two together and figure that if the the man can't you know can't not live in a trailer perhaps there's a reason he still has that shirt well and i i think that I yeah I that's an, I hear that that's an interesting thought because I think that like part of it is that they're also paying for the the renovation like not the renovations but the kind of like the redecorations and things like that too right isn't that, isn't that oh yeah no it's not yeah. it's not yeah of course but to then do that and then shame them while they're that's doing what it. I'm saying that's yeah, what I'm that's, saying that's, is that they're like looking through the clothes and being like I can't believe you've had you've had this shirt for 15 years and it's like well you know if I didn't have that shirt then I wouldn't be able to have a shirt to wear to work right because like, otherwise I'd have to buy a new shirt and that's not really in the cards right yeah. now yeah I bet you there are a lot of people that are want that are wanting to be on queer eye because they know that they'll get like a budgeted like they they can't budget for this kind of a thing and this is a way for them to do it honestly like deep down i think that that's one of the i think that's like a big motivation for people signing up it's like i want my life to be better i don't have the resources to do that and i think that it's i think that resources is taken in every sense of the word in that it's I don't have the monetary resources to make the time you know I don't have the time resources I don't have the time to set aside and go through and figure out like what the current you know interior decorating styles are nor do I have the know-how to do that yeah and I also don't have the emotional bandwidth i don't have the expertise i you know all of these things like it is about a lack of resources and i think that what queer eye neglects to be sympathetic to is the monetary i think that they very they handily take into account you know when jonathan talk talks about grooming regimen with the with their subjects he says how much time do you have to get ready in the morning and one guy he said i on a good day i have two minutes and he's like well then let's make those two minutes count Mm -hmm. and he goes through a, a something super simple which I think is amazing. And in some cases, in some cases, I'm wrong. In some cases, they do really take into account the fact that these people do live on a very tight budget. For example, the guy who only had two minutes to get ready in the morning, he took all of the shopping that was done was at Target Mm. because there was a Target near their house. Yeah, no, that was really cool. There was a Target near their house and they could get absolutely everything that they needed. Mm -hmm. And they had a family. So it was like, I want to bring the family and they could get everything that they needed at Target for the family. And so that kind of stuff, I think that they do a really great job at. 
But what's frustrating to me is those first goddamn seven minutes where mm-hmm. they just absolutely tear a new asshole to these people who are genuinely just trying to get help. Now, is that more or less frustrating than the idea that Anthony can't cook? I'd say it's about equal. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, so... So the tipping point for me with all of this was the video you posted on my wall. Yeah, so and it I, was, it was, <laughs> do you I want posted, to talk about yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I do. So I posted like a tasty like video, yeah, onto Maureen's <laughs> wall. Are there more? Are there? There's probably more. I'm sure. Two brilliant people with food, like a bunch of brilliant people with food, are now like tearing apart whether or not Anthony the food. Can cook. The food editor from the Cap Times and Madison is weighing in. Yeah. Our you know host of Hearth and Soul. Our, yeah. our our resident food podcast yeah. host Angela Torres is, yeah. is weighing in like it's really the, fun. The owner of the Upton's one of the owners of Upton's Naturals is it's yeah, it's like really amazing. The most brilliant food vines that are in our circle are just like tearing it to me apart. Yeah. Well, and so uh, the video that I shared to Maureen's wall is an Anthony cooking video, but it's of him doing like a tasty thing. Well, no, and so. The original conceit was you sharing that video and saying, I guess he can cook. Yeah. To which I commented, bullshit, because you only see his hands. Yeah. Which that was just, that was just a passing comment. That was just me having not watched the whole video, but me seeing his dumb fucking Peter Pan face. And then... Just his hands. Just, just his hands. And I was like, oh, whatever. This doesn't prove anything. It's just his hands. Then when I actually had time to sit down, then when I actually had time to sit down and actually watch the whole thing, I was like, okay, what I'm looking for here is a full body shot of Anthony with his hands doing literally anything. Yeah. Not one frame of full body Anthony even Touching food. Can we talk about the watch? The watch. Can we talk about the watch? I th- I I'm, I do not feel like the the watch is a conclusive like because in the world where okay in the well, world where there's a conspiracy that Anthony doesn't know how to cook, you don't think they're going to think about the continuity of the watch? They're going to think about that. Yes. Yeah, okay. Well, so the so to provide context, because Daniel in Daniel form just dove in. <laughs> Hold on, let me... There are 20 comments on the video on my wall. Okay, so Daniel's original comment is, I guess he can cook. My comment was, I mean, how do we know those are his hands? And that just started. So then I said, he can pose next to a bowl of risotto all day. I remain unconvinced. And then Lindsay Christian's food writer for capital time says same guacamole with greek yogurt in it to be fair though i just watched the whole thing and i do want it blah 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 but (laughs) i i don't want this to devolve and (laughs) i don't want this to devolve into me oh the watch thing guys he took off his watch it's him hashtag believe what are your thoughts on that I have not seen the frame where he is not wearing a watch. They don't show his hands, hands. at all. No. So we don't know. We don't know if when you if he is wearing a watch. But so to, the hands that are making the food are, are wearing, wearing a watch. watch. And at one point in the video, uh, the video portion of just his hands, he takes off the watch so that he can smush. 
Oh, you know what? He did make risotto. He didn't make risotto. Okay, so I'm I'm referencing. I'm there's okay. another piece to this so that Maureen's another, very passionate. Yeah. About. Okay. Okay. So Angela. So to be, <laughs> this is the most scattered goddamn conversation. <laughs> we need to, you, if you're listening, you I need, need to, to watch the video. I need to. Okay. He's yes. making what's the recipe called? Sartu de riso. Yeah. Yeah. He's Sartu de riso. With an, there's an accent on the U, right? Sartu. Yeah, so find that recipe. It's a what's the what's the outlet that made the video? BuzzFeed video. Is it really? Yeah. Find that video, watch it, and then come back to this conversation. Because now we're kind of getting into the weeds here. Okay, okay. So um at one point in the video, he says, I'm very passionate about cooking for my for my loved ones. Um, so much so that, you know, I love this recipe so much. So on the last day of filming for Queer Eye recently i made three or four of these it took me all day so that is what we're talking about here the point where he says i made three or four of these it took me all day yes so uh nicole sopko of upton's naturals and nature yoga sanctuary friend of the show said (laughs) it took him a whole day to make quote Three or four of these. He's not sure because it never happened. A whole day to cook some rice and smash it in with a pan pan with sauce and ripped up cheese. Come on. So, Angela Torres, host of Hearth and Soul, coming to your ears Good friend. soon. Lovely person. We amazing love you, chef. Yeah, yeah, She's yeah. amazing. She said, I get your skepticism, except for the part where you don't think it would take all day to make. Risotto takes forever, and to make three or four batches, you're looking at a couple hours at least, plus three or four batches of sauce at 30 minutes simmer time each that then needs to cool completely before being put in the egg-laden rice. That could take a whole day, unless you're familiar with how to cook these things in large quantities. He doesn't seem to necessarily be a legit chef, but even as foodie, I love him. Guilty pleasure, I guess. So then I watched that and I I saw that and I was like, but he didn't make risotto. Because at another point in the video, he specifically says, now this is arborio rice. It's a short grain rice and it's most often used for risotto, but a lot of people don't know that it's versatile. So we're just going to prepare it like rice. And then he dumps it in a pot with chicken stock and simmer lets it simmer with the lid for 15 minutes and then voila it's rice Mm -hmm. so i commented saying i totally agree that if he had to make three or four batches of risotto it would have taken him all day because risotto was a time suck for sure but this recipe doesn't call for risotto all it showed was boiling arborio rice for 15 minutes but then sitting here i remembered that at one point he does take because this is relevant to him taking off his watch because at one point he does take the he he transfers the rice to another bowl and cracks an egg into the rice which if it were hot rice then the egg would just cook so he does there does need to be some sense of letting the rice cool down. But if you're just boiling arborio rice, you could just make a shitload of arborio rice. You know, you could just like boil a fuck ton and then split it into three and then let it cool and then crack three eggs, put it into three bunt pans, 
All right, I want to see the I want to see the forest for the trees on this. I want to ask you now. Yeah. How, well, I I feel like we're gonna have to revisit this with like well maybe we'll have a roundtable discussion about it or something. <laughs> so if y'all are if y'all are listening and are interested in having a roundtable discussion about this, let's do it. Here's what I need to what I want to ask you. Okay. Do you feel like you can make a conclusive decision that he either can or cannot cook at this moment? I I like, I, do- I don't feel comfortable making a definitive statement. I that's fair. What do you do? It's, you, it's a mystery. Because well, I feel like we've never actually seen him cook. Like for sure. Like there's been we, no shot of him making. Of there's been no video of full body. Not even full body. I don't even need the no. Just like, waist up, Anthony. Right, right, right. I don't need to see his feet. No, waist up, Anthony making a food stuff. A food. <laughs> well, any no. food stuff. Well, yeah. So what we see a lot in the show is Anthony standing at a beautiful marble counter with bowls of pre-chopped stuff, pre-marinated stuff. Throwing it into a pan and assembling it. The man can assemble. I will give Antony, if you're listening, damn if he can't assemble. What I question are your prep skills. What I question is your ability to take a pork chop. Like knife cuts? No. Like, what I'm saying is that, like, all of a sudden, here's, here's a Ziploc bag of marinated pork chop. Wow. Yeah. And it's like... What's in the marinade, Antony? No information. It's just like, oh, sesame marinated pork chop or something like that. And it's like, where are you getting the pork chop? Like, what's this poor man to do once you leave? And he's like, where's my marinated pork chop? Like, so those those are the kind of skills that I'm like, like, where are the receipts? You know, because another example is that um, another subject that he and Anthony go to his stepmom's house and his stepmom teaches both of them how to make tamales. Mm-hmm. And then Anthony then, you know, when it comes time to get ready for the party, is like, all right, let's make these tamales. And you see a shot of them assembling the tamales. Yeah. So, like, what I'm saying is, like, and especially, and even with this video, by the way, we're at 25 minutes of me just ranting about Anthony how, and how he can't cook. What I call in the question and what Nicole Sopko brought up is that there's no question that he, that he can't, that the, that the last, you know, that he can't cross the finish line. line. He can cross the finish line. He can walk out with a, with a plate of food. What I question is his ability to create recipes. Because there's been no evidence of him, of him creating recipes. All of the recipes on the show are very basic. Exactly. They're, they're like hot dogs. They're very... Yes! Yes! They're, they're There's a whole episode where he just makes, quote-unquote, gourmet hot dogs. Yeah. Like, even this even this BuzzFeed video recipe is a Jada de, 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 Jada de Laurentiis right. recipe. Yeah. The man can't make his own recipe. There's... Again, no question that he can't assemble parts. He just can't. He 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 doesn't innovate. Yeah. And that's what's so frustrating is is the is the shocking imbalance between, you know, between the other people because like, you know, Karamo he can he can plan and produce an entire elaborate filmed and edited proposal at a movie theater, mm-hmm. and Jonathan Van Ness is is a skilled and like thoughtful and caring 
you know hairdresser and demonstrably cut. so he's like, so he's so talented like he's he was a celebrity hairstylist for the longest time he's been cutting tess holiday's hair for five years cut and coloring tess holiday's hair for five years incredible incredible at um uh what is a oh, grooming that's that's his title grooming and tan is like so fashionable and so thoughtful and really good at making everybody look good there's no question about that and bobby is an incredible interior designer and anthony can't make a damn original recipe isn't bobby a capricorn bobby's a virgo okay but like isn't he though like yeah because he just like oh i know what i'm doing and then he does like a shit ton of work and we see none of it i mean we he has a team like he's been very explicit that he has a team right but like he comes like he has before this he had his own design studio like yeah. he he was a working interior designer and then in the BuzzFeed video Anthony's like yeah you know I just kind of stumbled into cooking like get the fuck out of here man you are not qualified to be here you are charming you are beautiful you are from Montreal and that's fine you apparently speak you know polish and french very well that's incredible good for you but you can't make a damn recipe yeah um so we've been going for 30 minutes i have two other topics i think i have one that i think you'll be equally fired up about and so that is the first um that i know i definitely want to talk about is i wanted to talk about chance the rapper buying chicagoist that's awesome uh, well, so, yeah. So, for those that don't know, um, Chance the Rapper, on a few days ago, I don't know the exact date, released a bunch of, like, four tracks. I've been listening to them on SoundCloud. I don't know if they're on Apple Music or, like, on other, on other platforms. But my point being here is that they're free to listen to. Um, but the top track the the top like not it's not i'm not talking about it like hierarchically i mean like literally the first track is called i might need security and the there was been there's been a lot of outlets published like uh posting about two things that happen in it first off he talks a bunch about Rahm Emanuel and Rahm Emanuel's you know uh issues with the police and like that we're in a police state and that um that Rob Emanuel is granting vacations to like paid vacations to people that are ultimately murderers of innocent like like black people throughout Chicago. So that's the one piece of, of that. And then the other piece is that I he, just put two and two together for a thing that I experienced at work. Sorry, I apologize. No, you're good. Um and the other piece is that um he mentions in that song is that he bought chicagoist which we've talked about uh i don't know if we've talked about it on the show but we've published a bunch of articles about it that um DNA, it was part of the like dna info ricketts family thing and then when dna when ricketts family the ricketts family were like well they want to unionize we're gonna cancel this they, they like they shuttered dna info they shuttered chicagoist they shuttered gothamist and there's been i think there's i don't entirely know what's going on with gothamist like on as uh, what i know is that i'm pretty sure they're still publishing i think thrillist is still publishing somehow too like i don't know all the details of it but um also block club chicago is is a former dna info journalist I've, i have them on my c first and they're fantastic block club chicago um check them out but yeah so um and I think that it, it mirrors or it parallels another thing that happened, which is the Chicago Reader being bought out by the owner of the Chicago Defender. Um, so I, I, I want to know what you think about like about the future of digi- of, of uh, journalism in Chicago. 
Before I do that, can I say what I put two and two together yeah. about? So there's been a string of robberies in my neighbor in in the neighborhood where I work. Uh, two of them were at the cafe that I work at, which was upsetting. Um, and a lot of police have been coming in and talking about you know how to you know, just doing their doing their jobs. Um, and one of the one of the things that I experienced. I think yesterday morning was two cops coming in being like, hey, we're the cops assigned to this case. Uh, it's not our, our normal detective because a bunch of people in our department are on vacation right now. Um, so it's a different detective and we just want to know if you gave the detective the security video. And I was like, oh, that's that's not a me question. That's a literally anyone else question. So I, whatever, I passed the information along and was like, if you haven't given the detective the video yet, then you need to give it to these guys. Anyway, but when you were like, oh yeah, Rahm Emanuel is giving paid vacations to these folks, I was like, is that, that why all the that people? That might not be the two plus two. I don't okay. know. I, I mean... but th- That for me was the two plus two. Well, I mean like... But anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that that is all one piece. Um, there's actually like a couple... Um, protests going up we'll we'll like post about them somehow some way on social media but anyway um what do i yeah, think is i want to i want to get into the well because you know i well, have, yeah. so i what i what i think is interesting and what i think is being reflected across all forms of media is that we're not seeing you know we're not seeing the traditional like sweaty guy in a half buttoned you know half unbuttoned you know rolled up cuff balding you know it's not the it's not the archetype of a journalist you know doing the doing the work doing doing good thoughtful journalism it's it's people who care about information and i think that currently a lot of people care a lot of people like really you know, want to make their mark and a lot of people really want to see positive change. And I think that we're seeing more and more people coming at, coming to journalism, coming to the democratized spread of information from other walks of life. I Mm -hmm. mean, for example, we have, you know, in the case of Chance the Rapper, you know, he's this 25-year-old hip-hop artist who's like, I value the democratized spread of information, so I'm going to make sure that this happens and, you know, make sure that, you know, it's done in a way, at least in this outlet, that I think is good. Mm -hmm. And I think that what we're going to see more and more of are people who, I think what we're going to see more and more of are people who just genuinely want the best for our community, starting to ensure that there's a free and that there's a free and independent press. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that what's really powerful about the moment that we're in is seeing what independent press can mean, like through seeing it from a diverse, like group of outlets, you know, like I, I love the idea of there being more outlets that are doing well, you know, like, it seems like we're always talking about the death of journalism and the death of legacy papers. And it's like, well, maybe maybe we bleed them out and get their budgets and spread them across. It's your phone. It's off. It's really? closed. Oh, but is it is the signal on? Uh, yeah, I'll get, let me put it here. Sorry. It's okay. It's not a big deal. Um, 
Anyways, go ahead. I, I just think that gutting the budgets of major papers and giving them to all of the, the indie outlets that we know is really great. And I, I'm also really glad to see... I think that that's a, I think that, that would be a move toward destabilization. Decentralization. No, destabilization. Really? Because I think that there are I think that there are people who rely on those institutions. And I'm not saying that they're necessarily right, mm. but what I am saying is that if all of a sudden if all of a sudden news breaks out that, you know, the that the trib had its you know had its budget gutted and is distributed among smaller newspapers, I feel like people would see that as the death of a free and independent press. Well, and so let me, and I'm sorry to drop anything on you that you don't know, but one one thing that I actually just heard about today is that um, New York Daily News was bought by Trunk Publishing and then their staff was gutted. New York Daily News is like a lefty uh, outlet in New York City. Um, Trunk Publishing owns the Trib, the Sun-Times, uh, and they used to own the Reader. Um, uh, and so what my point is, is that I don't think that these major outlets are going to go away. I think what, what is very likely to happen is that the, the way that they do business is not going to remain sustainable and profitable. And we're going to see like cutting of, of staff basically. So to that, I say, like, I think that for example, for, our parents' generation. If our parents' generation were to see the drastic restructuring and reduction of services from a major news outlet, mm -hmm. it would be seen as a destabilization move. Yeah. Now, that's not to say that when we are our parents' age, when we are the generation that's making, you know, the money moves and stuff like that, and right. when we're the when we're the generation that's in charge, that's not to say that we wouldn't see the restructuring and reduction of assets of major news outlets as a positive thing. But I think that right now, when we are not the ruling generation, yeah. it the powers that be would panic and that and that would affect our day-to-day -day life in a way that we I think would not benefit from. I think that as time progresses and I think that as people who our age who are looking to innovate and looking to change and looking to see restructure, I think that at that point when we're in charge, I think we're definitely going to see a change in how these institutions run. There's no question in my mind. Cool. I first off want to say that I think this is the best sounding board we've ever done. And I also <laughs> want to say that I, I have another thing. And I so what I want to do is what I did again, which is kind of like talk about what's going on. And then I know exactly how I really want to hear your perspective on it. Okay. Um, the, the last thing I really wanted to talk about was uh, Tammy Duckworth. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if y'all heard about this, but she issued a statement uh, in response. This was like two or three weeks ago in response to um, the rise of democratic socialism. Mm -hmm. uh, we've seen like a, a significant rise of democratic socialism with the, um, the democratic primary win of Bronx native Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And all the Democratic Socialists right now are really excited about it, and rightfully so, because she offers a platform that's really interesting. We're seeing, like, Fox News has been putting up their like their entire platform and basically giving them free because they want their their viewership to be outraged. Angry. Right. But their viewership is like, this is interesting, actually. 
Oh, I, I mean, don't know. I don't know if that's true. I think there that, are definitely I people think that, that are like, this is socialism. And well, no, be. what I think what's happening is that lefties are, you know, getting screenshots of that and being like, actually, that sounds pretty great. I right. don't think that the people watching Fox News are jazzed. I think that Fox News is accomplishing what it set out to do for its viewership. Right. I think that the screenshots being taken of that coverage and being spread throughout the leftist community is is giving her free press. I I agree. I also wonder if, and I I don't think there's I, this is not a thing I think is substantiated. I do wonder though if the people that voted for Trump, the like Democrats that voted for Trump because of his promises, I think that's a. I think they're they're actually so there is statistical evidence that there are Democrats that were that voted for Obama that voted for Trump because of his promises of like of like draining the swamp or and revitalizing health care and all this stuff. Which he obviously has done none of that. Of course. Um so that that is one piece. I that I remains to be seen. Like that's me pontificating. But um what I think is interesting about this um is that uh so as part of her win, she's been doing national tours, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, to just kind of like be uh because she's so famous now she's kind of like trying to help out different races local races so um her and bernie sanders just did a rally in kansas and had thousands of people come Mm -hmm. and so um tammy duckworth's statement specifically was um that she does not believe that socialism will succeed in the midwest well And that's I want it. That's what I want to hear about. What you that noise you made. But the other point I just want to bring up real quick is, um, I also because the other layer I think I, I want to mention and talk about is something that we recognized in the interview that we just had with um, Are You Famous Yet, which is a lot a big lens to how we think about things politically is this idea of balancing identity politics and socialism. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting because Tammy Duckworth is an identity politics champion mm-hmm. you know she's a woman of color she has a baby she brings that baby to court with her she's disabled Not like court. I mean, you know what i meant sorry um to the senate floor right um you know i she is in for like for liberals that are that care about identity politics she's amazing but she's also like these one of these aggressive capitalist anti-socialist types and so it's like really hard to for people that care about finding the bridge between for people like me maybe if you're listening to this you're not a person that that cares about this but that cares about bridging identity politics and socialism Mm -hmm. it's a hard it's a hard thing to i i hope that i genuinely hope that in moments like this that she sees that there is a, a clamoring because I I believe that and uh, for for socialism in the Midwest. Okay, but I'm also curious. Yeah, yeah. The, okay, with the, your Wisconsin uh, background. Yeah, and- yeah, yeah. Okay, so to Tammy Duckworth's ta- Tammy Duckworth's statement that socialism will not work in the Midwest, it did work in the Midwest. It thrived in the Midwest. The American standard for what socialism could be is how it worked in the Midwest. Both Chicago and Milwaukee have a long history in the mid-1900s of socialist mayors. And the city, and specifically, specifically in Milwaukee, I'm not as familiar with the socialist history in Chicago, although I know that there is definitely one. But the socialist history in Milwaukee is that 
in the New Deal era, there were a lot of social and social and welfare programs that heavily benefited the poor, the poor individuals in the city of Milwaukee, such that it attracted a lot of hard, you know, hard on their luck families from the South, predominantly black families who then came to Milwaukee to take, not take, I say take advantage. No, I think that's a fair uh, yeah, way to, I to, think that's, To yeah. take advantage of those generous welfare programs, which I think any, you know, any, I, any I want to take advantage of things. Any hard yeah. on their luck family right. sees, sees an opportunity to, you know, sees an opportunity to, to do that and they're going to fucking run with it. Right. So then for multiple generations, the people of Milwaukee thrived for because of this welfare program mm-hmm. then in the 70s those welfare programs were stripped and then there were generations of families that lacked the education that lacked the that lacked you know appropriate work history that all of a sudden were stripped of these welfare services and that led to that is one of the main causes of how incredibly a segregated and b how big of a wealth of a wage gap and wealth disparity there is in Milwaukee because there are generations on generations of not generations on generations there are a couple generations of black southern families that arrived with no connections to the to the community other than themselves and so they they remained insular because they were like we're here so that we can thrive and so that we can spend time with our families and then all of a sudden those were taken away and they had to then with no connections try to figure out ways to make ends meet and because of systemic racism because it was still the 1970s in the midwest they weren't able to make those connections and so their families suffered for it. And so their children weren't able to get the necessary education. So then they remain poor. And thus the vicious cycle continues. Mm-hmm. So it's because of welfare, not because of welfare, it's because of the elimination of socialism in the Midwest that we're in the situation that we are, that we do live in such a segregated society in the Midwest. It's because there was an incredible amount of diversity that was introduced to the Midwest because of welfare. And studies on studies and studies show that diversity helps, you know, communities thrive. And it's so frustrating to me that we're being told that socialism doesn't is wouldn't work and that these welfare programs wouldn't work and it's, because they did yeah. they fucking worked they brought rich cultures they brought family-minded people they brought they brought you know like other than the color of their skin the ideal midwest archetype of people who care about their families of people who want who want to build community who want to have a better life it's the fucking american dream but then because these opportunities were taken away from them because of fucking capitalism it's ah god damn it it's so fucking frustrating the notion the fucking selfish notion that 
Well, and to your point, like very much the what she has to say that like, oh, this won't work in the Midwest. That that fallacy of hers is a product of that segregation. She is like out of touch with the poverty stricken people of the Midwest. Like she like to her, you know, I mean, like she's I, I, I don't entirely know her background. Like maybe that's ignorant of me to say, but I, I like the the idea that it won't well her work. background is a military background right and so like I don't I don't believe that she has as as much of a pulse on what it's like to be poor in the Midwest and there are so many people that we don't are know that for sure Midwest. we don't know that for sure yeah I'm not I, I, what as that, a, that as a, statement as a woman me, of color as uh, Tammy Duckworth as a woman of color in the Midwest I'm sure that she has some connection some idea of what poverty living in poverty is like in the midwest perhaps she grew up in an affluent society but as a woman of color living in the west as a product of the reduction of those welfare services i am positive that she has some sense of what it is like to grow up impoverished in the midwest well i want to see that in her voting record me too cool Thank you all so much for listening. I've been Dan Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. If you want to keep up with what we're up to, there are so many ways you can do that. The first is to head over to scopymag.com. That's our website. We post all of our articles there as well as all of our podcast episodes. Um, if you want to keep up with what what am I saying? If you want to find us on social media, we have a Facebook page called Scopy Magazine. Uh, we also have a Facebook group that we love and adore called Sounding Board. Uh, you can hear about all of our conspiracy theories about reality TV shows. Hit me up. Yeah. Fucking talk to me about it. I'm fired the fuck up about how yeah. Antony can't innovate. Mm-hmm. That's honestly my main issue. Yeah. Like I said, the man can assemble, but he cannot come. He's not original. Mm. That's fair. Anyway, so we, we also talk about local arts and local politics. If you can't find the group, uh, shoot either Maureen and RI a message personally or the Facebook page uh, a message personally. Uh, to Not personally. You know what I mean. To the page. And we'll get you in there. Otherwise, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr under Scopy Mag, spelled the same way as the website. Uh, and you can also find the podcast, the one you're listening to right now, Scopy Radio, under most podcast places under Scopy Radio, iTunes, Radio Public, Google Play. And I'm here to talk about the importance of subscribing. If you head to our website, scopymag.com, and go to our subscribe page, there are a couple ways that you can do that. The first is to sign up for email blasts. This will let you know every time we post something on the site. This is huge because even though we post across social media platforms, Facebook eats our shit. So if you want to see 100% of what we're doing and not just 30% of it, I recommend signing up for those email blasts. The second thing you can do is you can become a member. For as little as $5 a month, you can help us keep our lights on and pay our fucking artists. So if you want to help us do that, please, please, please consider becoming a member. It means literally everything to us. Also, if you're interested in advertising opportunities, please feel free to reach out to us at scopybag at gmail.com. So, give a little, give a lot, and if you can't give, then listen, participate, and share. Cool. Thanks again so much for listening. Go out and make something. Yep.